Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We spend a lot of our time just opening up the scriptures, taking a passage and kind of diving deep. We talk about this, we're doing it a lot in the book of Luke right now because we wanna be people who are shaped by the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, etc. And sometimes we can come upon a passage for some of us that's kind of familiar or that sometimes gives a hint and we can skim over and miss parts. So that's why as a church, we largely take a passage and just sit in it for that week. Um, And we will be starting soon into a more thematic series just for a little while, but then we'll dive right back into this Gospel of Luke. So every week in our newsletter, we tell you what passage we'll be diving into. So if you want to follow along, you can always see what you can be reading prior to our gathering together. But today, our author, Luke, is giving this teaching of the Lord Jesus on prayer and persistence specifically. Luke gives a ton of emphasis on prayer. We may recall that Luke is the author both of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. That's like a two-part book that was written all by Luke. And throughout both of these books, we see how much Luke emphasizes prayers, prayers in the life of Jesus, his teaching on prayer, the prayers of the early church. It's clearly an important mark of the Lord Jesus and the early church that Luke wants to emphasize as people who will be reading his works are going to try to be following in the way of Jesus, prayer is a really big deal. And every now and then, this is part of what can build a familiarity sometimes, Luke will give us like a little teaser, some kind of intro to guide our reading of what we're about to see. And he does this here. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. This would kind of be like if I approached you and said, let me tell you this awful thing my boss did. And you would automatically be kind of postured to know how this story is going to go or what you're supposed to react to when you hear my words, right? Okay, fine. Don't give up in praying, Luke. I got it. And you can kind of move too quickly through it. I don't think Luke intends that, but it does happen that we can therefore move a little quickly. And we don't want to do that this morning. Number one, we want to go ahead and delight in the detail of what is being taught here because it's really beautiful and rich. But the second thing is just my opinion, sometimes that oversimplification to the fullest point, which I do not think that Luke intended an oversimplification, but sometimes when we as the church do that, I've noticed it causes a lot of shame and doubt around prayer in the life of a church. So we'll get back to that. But that's why we don't want to just pause and be somebody who says, yeah, well, Jesus says just pray more and don't give up and go on from there. And so that's not all that's happening here. So we wanna take our time here and hopefully touch on both of these points and the teaching to be encouraged as people of prayer as we follow in the way of Jesus. Now last week, was it just last week, Sam? Sam had an epic list of three points that all started with the same letter. I want you to know I almost changed letters on my three points because I didn't want them matching. It happened on accident. I'm like, I'm not copying. I'm not one-upping. I just, it happened that way. And we're going into this place today. 
Honestly, you guys, I almost changed one, but it was really what happened. In order to move through our morning and the points that we want to look at, first we're going to study this parable because we don't want Luke's little intro to make us skip the story too quickly. Let's look at the richness of the parable. Next, we're going to pause and we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to go a bit beyond or outside of this direct teaching, but the conversation about prayer is really important in the life of the church. And then we're going to land the plane on the promise. The plane, I didn't do that on purpose at all. We're gonna land the plane on the promise at the end of all of it, and I think then we'll know where we're headed because these things aren't all directly linked, but we wanna really dive deep into this bit of scripture. Now, this parable, let's start with the parable. It comes right after a moment where a recorded conversation that Luke has when the people had been asking about when this future coming of the Son of Man would happen. So we're talking about the future kingdom. Now, faithful Jews at the time, as well as faithful Christians now, know about this concept of a future coming, God's kingdom, fulfillment of all things. The son of man would come. And so they were asking, when is that going to happen? What's that going to look like? I bring that up because while he's talking about that, he pauses and turns to his disciples and teaches on this. Initially, if you're reading through in the larger uh, part of scripture, it feels like a, like a topic change, which happens sometimes in teaching, right? But it's not. So remember that context. We're going to get back to that, and it informs the scene. But we're, first, we're going to focus within the, to- the future coming of the Son of Man, if you're into these words, the, the eschatological future. If you don't, you can dump that. It doesn't matter. The future coming within that Here's this parable. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Two characters, judge, feared neither God nor cared about people. The fear of God is a way to indicate that this would have been a man of faith, which he is not. Uh, He is not somebody who is a man of faith. And he didn't care about people. So this is meant to just, we're supposed to just see him as heartless. We have a heartless judge. That's kind of the short version. Now the widow, as soon as we hear that word widow, the initial audience and us who study uh, the Old Testament scriptures know a widow is like the archetype, like the perfect stand-in representation of vulnerability. That's what that word is supposed to let us immediately think. Throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are called to protect the vulnerable. We just read about it in our justice creed, right? Uh, The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the poor. These are the vulnerable. Protect these people. Here's the other thing, you guys. Women did not represent themselves in court. She has no one to stand in for her. And while our modern sensibilities might be like, you go, girl, that would not have been the response of the people hearing this parable. They would have been like, that's tragic. You're already a widow, and you have no one to stand into your case. Take vulnerability on top of vulnerability, and you know that right away. She has been wronged. It's an unnamed injustice, but there's no one to help her, and she's actively being wronged. So the two together, when we look at our two characters, we have like this most awful person and this most vulnerable person who's been taken advantage of. And so they kind of serve as these occupants of completely different end of the continuum of power and privilege. If you could see power and privilege in a line, who's got all the authority to make the decisions and doesn't give a rip about anything, 
And who is this most vulnerable who's actively being wronged? They're on opposite ends, and we love this feisty lady, right? So we go on. For some time he, the judge, refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. This is kind of funny. Attack me, it's different in different translations. Wear me out, some say. The actual language is something more like um, hit me under the eye, give me a black eye, some kind of attack of the eye that is like an idiom that is some kind of like both and, right? Like give, give me a black eye, like tarnish my character and sock me in the eye. And it's meant to have us feel both. The commentators agree. You guys, we're supposed to laugh at this. This is a funny scene. Like she's gonna, she's gonna go and get him in some way. She's gonna get him. And so it's supposed to evoke an image of this almighty, fearless, macho judge cornered and slugged by the least powerful in society. One of my commentators, I can't remember who to give it credit to, was like, the, the judge is like, she's gonna handbag me. And I thought that was kind of a funny saying. Can you like see the picture? Like, do it now, I need this justice. So her persistence, that feistiness is what eventually gets her what she asked for. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Jesus goes from the unjust judge to God. This happens a couple of different times. We've talked about this in other parables. Why are there sometimes when Jesus compares God to like the awful character in the story? It can be confusing to us. We get it when he's the vine dresser or the master of the estate. But when Jesus does this, it's confusing to our ears. But it was a rhetorical argument. It was a, it was a known way to argue from lesser to greater. And our ears could miss that. And if they do miss that, here's what we hear. Okay, wait, so I'm bugging God when I pray, and if I bug him enough, God will eventually be like, okay, fine, leave me alone. And I want to stop and say, you guys, no, absolutely not. That's not in line with any of scripture. We don't have this as a known way of rhetoric, and so we may miss it. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. What Jesus says, he goes from lesser to more. Um, if... This, this awful, remember our continuum, this awful of a person would even do this for poor motivation. How much more so will our loving God, who's way off the charts on the continuum of loving care and solid motivation and good character, how much more would God respond because he's motivated by love? How much more? So God does not equal the unjust judge, but if an unrighteous judge will eventually respond to persistence, how much more will God who loves us and who has a heart for justice respond, right? So we're gonna move on now from the parable and we're gonna talk about prayer for a couple of minutes because Luke has said, be persistent in prayer. That's what we're talking about. So we're gonna move beyond the parable for a moment. And at this point, I acknowledge you might be a little bit tempted if you've been around church for even a couple of months to kind of like tune this part out and say, I've like heard sermons about prayer before. And I confess, I'm not about to like blow anybody's mind with something new, but it is true. We as a church talk about prayer a lot. And there's a reason for that, just like the reason with Luke. It mattered to Jesus. Jesus prayed a lot. 
He taught his disciples a lot about prayer and we're called, invited to be people of prayer. So it's important that we do bring it up. So even if I don't say something new, let's still take the moment to consider the nature of prayer and the challenges with prayer. Because I like to talk about all the things, right? Like sometimes being a people of prayer can be challenging because that is, to address that helps us to be encouraged in our life of prayer. And a lot of us do have baggage with prayer. I personally have found, just anecdotally, I didn't do any real survey, but like my friends and my seminary friends, my church friends, family friends, a lot of people really struggled in their prayer life over the pandemic. I don't know what happened and I'm not gonna spend too much time diagnosing it, but a lot of people really felt a hit who were already people of prayer. Prayer can be hard. But I continue to believe and know and experience in my own life that God can and will move as God's people pray. That's why we've reopened the upper room for 9 a.m. I hope you'll join us. It's just already been such a beautiful gift this morning as well. It's just a place. God moves when people pray. So we're going to talk about prayer for a few minutes. Here's what we cannot do this morning. I cannot fully answer the mystery of prayer. Sorry. Um, It's a really big conversation, and I know it can be frustrating. I cannot answer or study even fully um, the mystery of prayer. Here's what we do know. Jesus' own life was and is still constantly marked by prayer, and the same is true of the early church in Acts, and we see the Spirit moving. We know that the Old Testament is full of powerful people of prayer. Moses, Elijah, Hannah, David, their stories are still being told and shaping our own prayer lives still today. And we also know this, prayer is something that can be learned. You don't need to just come right out of the gate like uh, like Hannah with her prayer, right? Prayer can be learned. Uh, The disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. We know we have more to learn. So it's okay to have doubts or confusion about how prayer works. Here's the marvelous and mysterious truth. The triune God of the universe wants us to pray. Sometimes we can be defeated out of the gate. Maybe somewhere we've picked up a message uh, either, either directly or indirectly or assumed or something. The course of history is already set. What does it matter? The Bible actually doesn't say that. That's not true. Richard Foster points out some very powerful Old Testament examples of God changing his mind according to his unchanging love. I'm gonna read two examples of this. This is really mysterious, but this is why we can't say that everything is all set, right? Exodus 32, 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he threatened to bring on his people. Jonah 3, 10. When God saw they had what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So we cannot say everything's all set, why bother? So that one just got like kicked to the side. That one's out of the way. We solved it. That's done. So what about when God doesn't change God's mind? Because that's the one that can really be hard. I already told you guys I'm not going to solve the mystery of all of this stuff, and I'm sorry, because I know it's frustrating. I've felt it for sure, but there's a lot we don't know about why or when sometimes the prayer isn't answered the way we want. But here's what we do know. Prayers make an objective difference. We see it throughout scripture and we see it throughout the history of the church. And I've seen it in my own life. It actually makes an objective difference to pray. We see throughout scriptures, right? God heard their prayers and 
we know that this is really important. And we lean not only in scripture, but into Christian witness through the last over 2,000 years. We know prayer matters. And then the second thing is Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. And our whole series on Luke is to be following in the way of Jesus. This is really important. The son of God is a man of prayer. And he taught his followers to do the same with great emphasis. So that implies, because there was teaching involved, you guys, we still can be people of prayer, even if we're not good at it. Do you know what I mean? There's no like measurable good at it that you need to be to be a person of prayer. I love what E.M. Bounds writes. He is known as, he wrote a really, really big book on prayer and has just so much wisdom about prayer. And this line just struck me coming from such a person as, uh, as him. Praying is the best school in which to learn to pray. Prayer is the best dictionary to define the art and nature of praying. So in other words, If you're having trouble starting to pray, you can talk about that with God and you're actually praying. And that's what that is. It's saying, God, I'm really struggling with prayer. I'm frustrated. I don't know how to do this. And you know what you're doing? You're learning to pray. It's really a beautiful thing. Richard Foster says in prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills, and progressively, we're taught to see things from his point of view. So just like, think about it, we're shaped by the relationships around us, right? Do you have a friend? When I was growing up, I was surrounded by a bunch of valley girls. I probably just dated myself. And my language reflected my friend group. My desires for a certain brand of jeans reflected the desires of my friend group. Do you guys know what I mean? Like this was a real thing. It's the same thing in relationships around us now. And this is the relationship we most want to be shaped by. And so proximity, conversation, exposure, relationship shapes our language, our desire of our heart. Let's be shaped in relationship with God. Because what we see in the scriptures is that Jesus' passion for prayer came out of his passion for relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? It was a relationship passion, not a relation, not a, it wasn't the conversation itself. Prayer was the way to foster the relationship. That was where the passion was. And it includes honoring who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and who we are. One of the things I love about the holy mystery of prayer is it holds together reverence. I am me, you are God, and intimacy. And you wanna talk to me like this? You wanna be together in this way? You care about my heart? Reverence and intimacy held together so beautifully because it's about relationship. I want to just take a couple of discouragements that are common and let's just talk about them. Um, Some of these are things I've experienced or talked to other people about. One of the discouragements, I already said, like everything's already set, why bother? Remember, we already, we took care of that one. That one's all done. So here are a couple of others that happen. How can God care for each of us? There are bigger concerns than mine. I don't want to take up God's time. Here's the fact. It is beyond our comprehension, but it's 100% true that that's exactly what God wants. The Psalms, the Old Testament, Jesus, early church witness, all of it demonstrates we're called to pray and it's demonstrated that it impacts outcomes 
and God hears and God cares. And as Scott McKnight writes in one of his books, he's talking about the fact that like, yeah, God knows us by name. He knows all of our hearts and minds and emotions. He loves us anyway. He summons us into the divine presence to lay out our requests. This fact is not a challenge to God so much as it is incomprehensible to humans. I think that's a good way to put it. So you just have to believe God. It's incomprehensible to us that God could care about such different sized worries and such breadth of humans, but it's just incomprehensible to us. It totally makes sense and it's fine for God. So we don't have to worry about that and just trust that God means what God says when he, God invites us to pray. So another one, if God already knows all those things you just said, Melissa, my heart, my mind, my thoughts, my desires, why bother? Because God invites us to. It's an interaction. It's not a test of what God does or doesn't know. When we go to prayer, we want, God wants us to be in conversation about those desires, to have those things shaped in relationship with God. And getting back to the relationship, you guys, this one wouldn't make sense if you play it out with a relationship of somebody you're really close to, right? So Andy knows, my husband, Andy knows I love him. Why do I need to tell him or hang out with him? or talk with him. He knows, like that, we would ne never. So we can't do that in this category, right? Okay, what about unanswered prayer? Yeah, that's the one that we already said, like that can stink sometimes. It's really frustrating. Churchy answers, like just be persistent, like that, it won't cut it. Um, it hurts sometimes, and sometimes we hold hope. And again, from the book that I mentioned from Scott McKnight, he says it this way, and I think it's just good. He says, sometimes hope lags behind our petitions. Sometimes hope sustains us. But I keep praying because God is good. And sometimes it's discouraging. I'd be a liar if I didn't say it. That's the truth. It can be hard. Sometimes our desires change. Sometimes the answer is different than what we expected and better. And sometimes things are unresolved on this side of eternity. And that can be really hard sometimes. And that's just a little side note. One of the reasons I think it's really important to be praying or holding things in prayer together because we are able to hold hope together or hold waiting and just admit when something is super frustrating, when it's not going the way. So, but why bring this up on a letter, uh, lesson on persistence? This sounds like a bit of a discouragement, right? A bit of a downer. My earlier point with this parable is misunderstood as somebody who's worked in our prayer ministry for many years, I hear people coming up and saying, I keep praying and it's not changing. Maybe I'm just not persistent enough. Like Jesus said to be more persistent. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. And so that's why I feel like um, simplifying this message wrong. Like yes, persistence in prayer is good, but the promise here is not that anything that you want will be granted if you are persistent. Does that make sense? Like that's not what this parable is teaching. So in our little detour on prayer, prayer is not about getting the gift, the thing asked for, okay? That's not what prayer is about. It's about growing closer to the goodness of God in relationship, in conversation. So if somebody's saying, just keep praying and you'll get the desire of your heart, that's not what this parable says. This is not what Jesus is saying in this parable. And that message can be shaming and confusing and cause doubt. I'm not doing it right, not good enough, whatever the whatever enough is. Um, and it's just not right. Persistence is a beautiful thing and we are called to be persistent, but it's in pursuit of relationship and our hearts being 
formed, right? So persistence is exhausting, but the fruit isn't just the possibility of getting the gift. The fruit of persistence is the time spent draws you into relationship, draws you closer to the heart of God. Sometimes your desire changes. Sometimes God provides differently and you're aware of it. Sometimes you grow in gratitude, even if the gift isn't the answer. And sometimes the bottom falls out and you realize I'm closer to God and God is near me. So that is the fruit, is the relationship. But also, so number one, it's not about the gifts, but this is the important part. And we'll get to that third part, the promise. This parable is not about getting what you ask for in prayer if you persist. That's actually not the promise that's going on in this prayer. This is a promise of the justice of God coming to fruition. So let's go back a minute and I'm gonna show you that. Our feisty widow is persistent about seeking justice. She's been the victim of injustice. She's vulnerable. She's been treated unfairly. No one is coming to her aid. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Note this, I loved this. Joel Green, one of the commentators, said it this way. I know I'm quoting a lot of people today, but that's because there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me. And part of my job is to bring good thoughts that aren't just me to you. Joel Green said this. Do you guys know that um, Lady Justice and she wears the blindfold? Do you know that? Okay, think of her for a second. Scripture gives no impression that the scales of divine justice are blind. The God who liberated Israel from Egypt is the God who directs his people to show special regard toward partiality on behalf of the oppressed among them, specifically for the alien, the orphan, the widow, the poor. So when we consider this, we can't use that. Don't give up asking for that new job. It's good. Ask for the new job and be persistent. But that's not what Jesus is promising in this parable. He's saying God's promise will come to the oppressed, even if that takes the fullness of time. So back to what I said at the start, remembering where this story is placed in a bigger conversation. Where was it? What's the future coming of the Son of Man gonna look like? When will it be? How will we know? We're talking about that. Then he stops and gives this promise for God's justice to be granted to those who persist after it. That's what the promise is. This teaching is within that future Son of Man, fullness of time, all things will be made right, and hey, it's gonna get hard while you're waiting. So what should we do, disciples? He addresses this, addresses this parable to the smaller group of his followers. He's in a bigger conversation with Pharisees and other people. He's like, Shoo! people who follow me, listen up about this justice pursuit in the waiting for my return. Listen up because God will grant justice when People are pursuing after it. It's promised through the Old Testament. It will come with the future coming. So now, encouraging them with this, what will the Son of Man find? Will he find faith on earth? When the moment comes, when the Son of Man returns, will he find the followers of Jesus faithful in the waiting? Because he's saying the day will come while the suffering, while the injustice is still in this world, while you all are waiting for what it's gonna look like when the Son of Man returns, what will faithfulness look like? A focus of the followers of Jesus continually and persistently seeking after the promise of the coming order of God, one that is marked with justice, 
rivers of mercy, all things made right. Who will be following after that even in the tough moment of waiting? So the question that you all have been asking, though, what will it look like? When will it happen? How will we know? Jesus is saying, how will you respond as my followers while you wait? Secure in a future promise, but knowing that God will grant this justice for this most vulnerable, anyone vulnerable, oppressed, etc. Anywhere where God's right needs to come into something the world has put askew, how will you be acting? And the answer is with persistence, not giving up in that space because we know that God's answer will be yes and amen to restoring the justice for any place that our world has done the and put things off, killed her, not in the way of God. So it's a people promise of how to act in the waiting. And that's what Jesus is calling the disciples to while he talks about this parable. This parable is a promise for justice. And so Monsieur Day, that's the question for us. How will we respond in the waiting? Because the promise is sure. And we want to be on the side of the people of Jesus who are following after this way while we wait. And it's being sober-minded and alert. Like, we know it's not all okay. That's why we use language here. It's okay that we're not all okay or that the world isn't okay. But the exact people who see that the world isn't okay right now are the people who need to be in the church seeking after a holy, righteous way to do our church life together best to spread this good news to the world around us. Exactly the people who feel that angst are the people who God can use through the Holy Spirit to actively pursue after the way of God in the world around us, wherever we are placed, in our schoolrooms, in our living rooms, in our condo lobbies, whatever it is, those are the places where we can be people of pursuit after the justice of God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this promise um, that you laid before your disciples so long ago that still ignites my heart, our hearts, for the coming justice. And as we wait, um, Holy Spirit, help us to be responsive, faithful. Um, help us to not give up in our pursuit of uh, justice, but also just to be able to hold on to the promise that your fulfillment is... is um, 100% promise that we have a future that um, will be so glorious, but we want to be people of that promise now. Help to shape us, empower us, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to respond to how you move us in this space. And then lastly, um, just Holy Spirit, I pray against any uh, spirit of shame or doubt in the life of prayer. Give us an open freedom to just come in conversation with you, loving God. Uh, we respond now to you and, and keep our hearts um, open as you are still with us as we gather in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.